0: This morning we share together in two scripture passages. Uh, the first is from First, is from Philippians, the first chapter. And if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow on the screen, we'll have it there for you. In the first chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking to these early Christians and expressing his heart to them in such a beautiful way. Listen to these words: "I thank my God." Every time I mention you in my prayers, I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you have been my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ in order to give glory and praise to God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel, the whole praetorian guard, and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. And the second passage of Scripture is from Luke chapter 3. We share together in the reading of the gospel, and it's always a a special reading. Out of honor for that, would you stand for just a moment um, as we recognize the precious power of this word? In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor, Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Aturia and Trichonitis, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make His paths straight. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. You may be seated. John the baptizer's life was this pointing toward God. In the wilderness, along the muddy banks of the Jordan River, He called people of all sorts to come and listen to the message of preparing for Jesus' arrival. He called in order to help them set their lives straight. In fact, that is the very reason that they came to him. They were prompted by the Spirit, no doubt, to come and to listen to him speak. But as they came, they also were troubled with things not being in order with their lives. They came to receive the changes that he spoke of. And in fact, they came to be baptized as a sign that they were actually receiving God's forgiveness. And they were changing, literally changing their lives. John got really specific with this. In fact, the people that came to see him, as he looked out at the crowds, he spoke to them and he said, Listen, if you have two shirts... Give one of them away in order that those who have none might be blessed. And if you have food, share what you have because there are people that are going hungry. He spoke specifically to tax collectors who had come to him to be baptized. And they asked him, what should they do? Don't ever ask Jesus that unless you want an answer to that question. What should we do? Because he said to them, he said, collect no more than you were authorized to collect. Cut out all of the backroom business of taking advantage of people. The soldiers that were gathered in front of Jesus asked the question, what should we do? And he said, you intimidate folk, don't do that. And be satisfied with the wages of what you are about. Jesus means to come in order to change our lives. And yet you and I somehow get the idea that there's really nothing about who we are that needs to be changed. We become so comfortable with life as it is that we think to ourselves where we are right now is fine. Jesus is okay with me. John the Baptist would take exception with that. He would say, come into the waters again. Let all of life be this growing toward Christ. I knew a lady, an older lady who was in a nursing home. Her name was Mursia. When I introduced myself to her, she said, "Mersia, you're not going to remember that. Remember Persia with an M. Mersia is my name." I said, "I think I can remember that now for the rest of my life. She was a precious lady. It was interesting. I hear so many persons talk about wanting to avoid going into a nursing home. I mean, I'm talking about wanting to avoid even visiting a nursing home. But talk about moving into a nursing home. They want to have no part of it whatsoever. Mercia was living in a nursing home. Her son... Asked me one day, have you ever seen her dance? I said, "Mersia dances? I was shocked. This was a 90-something-year-old lady. He said, yes. He said, you need to show up at the time that, and he named another lady who lived down the hallway, when she is playing the piano in the parlor. And you will see a sight. I happened by there one day when that very thing was going on. The lady that played the piano was busy playing some hymns. And Mirjia, by herself, in the middle of the room, was spinning like a top and just enjoying herself, enjoying the music, just enjoying being alive, you could not have convinced her that that nursing home was a bad place. You could not have done it because she had convinced herself that she was going to be grateful from the very depths of her heart no matter what her situation was. I was talking with a guy before Thanksgiving, and he looked at me and he said, Thanksgiving Day, I can see it now. Four hours of washing dishes. (laughs) But he went on and he said, but I love it. And he emphasized it again. He said, I'm telling you the truth. He said, I love it. I would not have it any other way. He's looking with different eyes at his tasks, isn't he? He's looking with a different vision for where he is in the world And what he is experiencing. Do you realize that that in this letter, this letter from Paul, it's so incredible because he's actually in prison. Did you hear that last verse that I read? He says, the whole praetorian guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. This is unbelievable that this is coming out of his heart in the midst of his being imprisoned. You see, the way that we live is often the undoing of thanksgiving. If only you and I could preserve what we went through a week and a half ago. But it seems to leave us just like vapor. And especially when we head into this season of all seasons, couldn't they have put Advent at a different time of year? Couldn't Christmas have been separated from Thanksgiving so that at least that we could get into the spirit of buying what needs to be bought during this time of year? You and I become nervous in so many ways. And it robs us of... Our thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul, remember, he was this man on the Damascus Road who was literally chasing down Christians in order to stamp out this rival faith that was presenting a problem to the Jews of the first century. When Jesus spoke to him, he spoke to his heart a question that he needed to hear it was specific to Paul why are you persecuting me who are you Lord he asked and when Jesus revealed himself to him this contemplation that overtook his life finally evolved into the birthing of this great thanksgiving of his spirit that even he couldn't control nor did he understand it that anything could happen to him, literally anything could happen to him. And it just about did. And he was still a man of thanksgiving and grace. In prison, he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, and you can just taste it. It is, it is so beautiful. He says, I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time that I pray. The circumstances did not dictate how he was going to feel or how he was going to relate to those around him. He was filled with gladness and thanksgiving. In fact, over toward the end of this book, in the fourth chapter, he says, and you will remember these words, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up your requests to God in your prayers, petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. And I repeat this. It says, let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. We always have persons that are exceptions to that rule. Even in our families, we have persons that are exceptions to that rule. People that we have this inner inner sense that they don't fit. They don't understand what makes for a good family life. And so we mark them in our minds. And we despise them in our hearts. Out beyond the family in our community, there's some people that we won't even talk to. Is that Christ's way? Jesus is the one who told us love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. The Greek word that Paul uses is koinonia, and that word means spiritual community. Paul's gratitude for his friends friends and partners in ministry infused his very life. It wasn't just in his words written in this letter. It was a part of his very being that he was thankful for everybody in the church and community at Philippi. That is quite something to do. There have always been a few people in any church that have irritated me to death. As the pastor of any congregation, there's always somebody that gets on my nerves. Now, don't be guessing who that is. (laughs) But my experience is your experience, right? You have people that just irritate you. You don't want to hang around them because they irritate you. Paul is saying, look beyond this to the greater good that God is doing and give thanks for all people, all people. He even details in the end of this letter, it's interesting, in the fourth chapter Obviously, there's a spat going on. He says, I urge Eudia and I urge Syntyche to come to an agreement in the Lord. These ladies were fighting with each other in the church. I was the pastor of a church a few years back. A lady came to me shortly after I arrived, and she said, never, ever put me on a committee with this other woman. I was so early in having come to the church. That didn't register well enough in my brain. And about a year later, we accidentally put her on a committee with this other lady. It was the worst thing that ever happened for her and for me. She let me know that I must have had it out for her in order to set this up the way that it happened. All kinds of things go on in church, don't they? God wishes for us better. I think the thing that happens with us is that we let life become too complicated. God calls us, specifically through Paul, to make it simple. Be grateful. Be grateful for each other in this fellowship, this spiritual fellowship that we call church. Let it be your choice to live gratefully, to keep each other in your prayers, and especially those that get on your nerves. Pray for them and love them. In fact, Paul would say, do it. I do it. Do it like I do it. Make this a part of your life, and you will be blessed during this season of Christmas. Anne Weems is a poet. Let me share these words with you that she wrote. Christmas comes every time we see God in other persons. The human and the holy meet in Bethlehem or in Times Square. For Christmas comes like a golden storm on its way to Jerusalem, determinedly, inevitably. Even now it comes in the face of hatred and warring. No atrocity, too terrible to stop it. No Herod strong enough, no hurt deep enough, no curse shocking enough, no disaster shattering enough. For someone on earth will see the star, someone will hear the angels, someone will run to Bethlehem, someone will know peace and goodwill. The Christ will be born. I guess the question is, who are those some ones? Will we be the ones that see what Christmas truly is meant to be?